talking about the Word of God today, and, and I really felt strongly yesterday as I was studying to go this direction. I've been sitting on this for a while. As Dad said, when we preach, we kind of will sit sometimes and really trying to grab the mind of God on something. And So I want you to turn to Genesis 2, and um, we're going to do the, the best we can to give you what the Lord's put in my heart, and I believe that he would speak to us today. How many are you, you ate lunch? But you're still okay to eat a little bit more. We had such a a good time and and uh, appreciate the word of the Lord from from Pastor this morning. It definitely is something that I have thought. Anybody else thought those things? Say, Lord, this is too hard. You know, they they actually told the Lord that at times. Lord, this is a hard saying. But I I love that it's the heart that that's what God's trying to work on. God's trying to trying to work on my heart. He's perfecting my heart. My outside's not probably ever going to be too perfect, but my heart, I'm hoping that he works on that. Amen. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, and I, I want to read to you a few verses here. Um, the Lord took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, I want you to listen, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now skip down to the third chapter. Now the serpent was more subtle than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the, of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God's knowing good from evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and also gave it to her husband with her, and he did eat. Lord, I pray that you would help me, God, to deliver what you have put in my heart. I pray that you would work on our hearts, Jesus, that we would be moved by your word. We would be established, strengthened, and grown by your word. And we give you all the glory, Jesus, and everybody say amen. I want to take note of a couple of things. In this chapter, I have spent some time years and years ago on Genesis uh, 2, Genesis 1 and 2, and kind of thinking about um, some things. And the Lord recently has dropped some, some interesting things into my heart. And, and I want to give you some things this, this afternoon. Um, for whatever reason, we do not know the reason. But Adam did not do an adequate job of keeping trouble out of the garden. We know that it was commissioned to him by the Lord that he would guard the garden. It was his duty. It was his job. We know, we talked about this side note, but that men, we are created to work. I'm thankful that my dad has led that example for me that even as a pastor always has worked because it's good for us. It's what God made us to do. Man needs to have a job. How many men say amen? Got to have something to do. You get bored sitting around and get into trouble. We need to, we need to be busy and have things to do. And so God had given Adam 
responsibility and duty to guard the garden. Now, he doesn't have to guard it from lions because the lions are at one with the lamb. We're not dealing with that at that point. But there is only really one thing that he's got to keep out, and that's going to be the serpent. And for some reason, he doesn't do that job. He is derelict in his duty. And I want to make an obvious observation. If the devil comes to talk to you, don't listen. That's just side note, but don't listen to him. I, I, I hear, and the reason I say that is I hear all the time these, these Pentecostal, and I, I say that because that's how we've grown up. That's what I've, I've been akin to. But I hear all these. I watch on, on YouTube. I see all these churches, and I watch services all the time. And I hear people talking to Satan all the time. All the time talking to the devil. I mean, songs like, listen to me, devil, devil, I tell you what I'm going to do. Well, you're not going to do anything. That's what you're going to do. Nothing. There's not a single thing you can do to the devil except for obey the Lord. But we have all this conversation, always talking to the devil. I just listened to this whole message about how you need to talk to your giant and you need to, you know. I, 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 I want to encourage you, instead of arguing with the devil, get away from the devil. And maybe if we spent more time talking to the Lord that we wouldn't have to spend so much time talking to the devil. We'd probably be a whole lot better off if we just spent time talking to the Lord. Amen? And uh, I think that, that the, there's a lot of effort made in how, how we plot our next attack and how are we going to take out Satan and, and you know, what, what can we do? And, and I begin to think about that because of the, bless, the best laid plans of mice and men, as, as the old saying says. But the best laid plans really do not result in any victories that are substantive in our life. And I was thinking about this story in the book of uh, Acts. Yeah, I don't have to give me the other mic. This one's cutting out. But in the book of Acts, in the 19th chapter, it talks about a man named Sceva. Does anybody remember that story about the man named Sceva? And he had uh, seven sons, and those, those sons, um, he was a priest, and the seven sons, let's see if we can switch that over. There we go. The seven sons decided they wanted to do some exercising, not um, like physical workout, but exorcist work. Get some demons removed. And they went out and they said, I adjure you by the Jesus who Paul names that you must come out. And what happened? One man whooped seven of them, sent them home naked and beat up. So we really need to spend a lot less time worrying about the devil and a lot more time worrying about our heart and worrying about the word of the Lord toward us. Amen. We possess no authority. We don't have any power except that which is given to us by the Lord, specifically authorized by him toward us for specific duty. Now, this is just prep, but this is important for us to think about. But I want you to notice something even more important than those things. And, and that is the distinct difference between what God told Adam and what Eve told the serpent. Now, I pause there because I, I, I don't know if you caught it, but I want you to listen. God told Adam, thou shalt not eat of it. Did everybody catch that? Thou shalt not eat of it. Eve had not yet been created. According to the Genesis 2 account, she is not yet. God told Adam, don't eat of the tree. Now God brings Eve along. Now Adam has to relay to Eve what God has told him. Everybody following my train of thought here? Eve comes along. She says, Adam, what are the, what are the garden rules? What do we got to do here? And he says, listen, here's what we got to do. We've got to make sure that we, 
We just uh, are here to tend. We're here to take care of what God has planted here. And we can eat of everything. All of this is ours. It's all for our consumption. Except for the tree in the middle of the garden. We are not to eat of it. And you're not to touch it. God told Adam, don't eat of it. Eve told the serpent that God said, don't eat of it. And do not even touch it. Now that can seem like an innocuous thing. It can seem like it's unimportant and maybe, you know, maybe it really doesn't add up to a whole lot. But I'll begin to think about this in, in, in a different term because I think that Adam probably out of the good nature of his desire to make sure that Eve is protected, that he just does a little bit of adding to what God had told him. God told him, don't eat of it. That's all God said. Don't eat of it. But by the time Eve comes along, Adam has given to her, it's almost the telephone game. You know that we got the story here, but by the time it gets to the, through the mouths and ears of 18 people, I mean, it's something completely, how many of you did that in school when you were a kid or kids church? Talk about gossip, you know, that's kind of how it works. But I don't think Adam probably had ill will in this. I think Adam is looking and saying, you know, you know what? If you don't ever touch it, you couldn't ever eat it. Does that make sense to anybody? If I don't touch it, I can't eat it. Well, th that, works, that works pretty well, um, except for that's not what God said. It isn't what God had told him. The heir of the first Adam then is visited upon every generation. Because pastor talked about this some months ago about what we're calling it the Christian Mishnah. Well, this started with the Jews. The Jews had taken what God had said. He had given them ten commandments, right? Ten. By the time that Jesus had come along, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of commandments. Where did they come from? Well, they didn't come from God. They came from someone who thought they could add to and help out God in trying to keep people living right. And I, I just thought this was perfect that you preach this today, Pastor, because it really lined up with what my thought was on this. The exact behavior that we see in Adam is visited upon the Jewish leadership who says, you know what, the, the commandments of the Lord are, are really hard to follow. They're really difficult. And so you're probably not going to be able to do those. So instead of worrying about those, we're going to give you so many other commandments that you can't ever get close to doing the commandments that you're not supposed to do. But the problem is by the time Jesus comes along, he looks at them and says, you have made it so difficult that no one can get in the kingdom. You won't go in and you won't let anybody else go in either. I, I think that the, the, the thing that the Lord has been putting in my heart as I've been thinking about this is that it is really easy for us to begin to look around and to think, you know what, if we added this to what we know, it would be a lot better. But God could have very, have you, I don't know if you've thought about this, and we're being a little redundant here this, this afternoon of what pastor said today, but God could have said any number of things. Could not he have given the exact prescription for the blend of cloth that, that they are supposed to use? 
Could he not have said you're only to wear, you know, and now we know they had some, some linen rules and about not mixed. But he could have given the exact length. He could have given the exact cut. He could have given the exact hairdo. He could have given the exact uh, beard length. He could have given all of that out, and yet he does not deal with that because it does always go back to the heart. And I was thinking about this in light of, of uh, repetition here today, but that it's still very present in the church today. That many within the movement that I had grown up in as a child, I can speak to this, and, and uh, whether it's apostolic, UPC, ALJC, or whether it's Trinitarian, Pentecostal, there has been this move toward taking the Word of God and adding to it something to make it just a little bit better. Because if we get enough safeguards in there, then we can somehow keep people in the kingdom. If we get enough safeguards in there, then we can somehow keep people around the Lord and, and they won't mess up. But all it becomes is a, is a list, a laundry list of do's and don'ts, and it never, it never materializes into faith. It always works onto the side of works. Now we know that faith and works go hand in hand. The result of my faith is that there will be works happening in my life. We understand this to be true. But the problem is, is I, I preached something, and I've shared this with many of you, but I preached something along these lines, let's say, maybe seven, eight years ago. And Brother Aaron Harper came up to me afterwards, and, and he said a word to me that I have not forgotten and probably never will. And I was talking about how that we, we can do all of these things and, and, you know, shave my face or don't cut your hair, don't wear open-toed shoes, only wear a skirt, whatever it is that we line up. We can do all of those things and never really come to know the Lord. And he said, you know, Pastor Rodney, I, was, I, I would call those things faithless works. It's the word he used, faithless works, and it has rang in my ears ever since. What is a faithless work? It's a work that requires no faith to do. What are faithless works? All of them. Only the things that require faith. I don't know what's going on in my heart. Let me spin off of what pastor was preaching then this morning. I don't, out of the heart, but the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? You hear that saying, do just trust your heart. No, 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 don't trust your heart. Do not, under any circumstances, trust your heart. I don't even know sometimes the inner workings and the motivations of my heart. And so it takes faith to believe that God is working in an area I cannot see. But it doesn't take any faith for me to wear a suit and a tie and shave my face and never let Carrie wear makeup or never let her wear a pair of pants or get rid of the TV or don't go here and don't do that. That requires no faith. We think it requires faith, but in truth, I can do that and never know the Lord. How many would say amen? I'm going to give you an example. I, I, I like President Trump. I'm not going to raise hands because it would be redundant. You all like President Trump. If you don't, you're in the wrong church. I like President Trump. However, I don't believe him to be a virtuous and godly man. But President Trump doesn't drink alcohol. He doesn't. So it's just a, a rule of his life. He doesn't feel he can be successful. So does that work? Is that a work of faith in his life? No, it's just a work in his life. 
It's just something he's choosing not to do. So you can do all of these things. And, and again, I, I, you know, we, we get on this because I think it's something that the Lord is trying to bring our mindset out of, Pastor. I think he's trying to help us to see we cannot be perfected. Paul says to the Galatian church, he says, listen, did you begin this thing in the spirit or in the flesh? And when you began in the spirit, are you now perfected in the flesh? So did you start out in salvation based upon your circumcision? Based upon your cleanliness? Or did you come into this thing based upon your faith? Your trust in the Lord, your belief in His Word. And if you then came into it in faith, how are you going to be perfected in the flesh? This is exactly what he's saying. Now, again, this doesn't negate that we should walk circumspectly. It doesn't mean that we should not walk in the light because all these are instructions from the Word of God to word us. We should not participate in the, in the works of darkness. The Apostle Paul talks about all of this. These are dark. This is light. Walk in the light. Get away from that. That's all true. But those things in and of themselves do not constitute faith. And what we have done is we have taken the Word of God, do not eat of it. And we've said, hey, don't eat of it, but also, don't touch it. Don't touch it. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to say, don't touch something that God said, don't eat. But the issue becomes that Eve has heard it as the Lord has said to us. And oftentimes what has happened is we, you, you should have standards in your life. You should live by the standards that you, I, I can uh, associate with and be around people who have standards that I do not have a lot better than people who have no standards at all. And everybody should say amen right there. I would rather be around people who believe that there should be some modesty toward their life and, and try to walk that out. I believe that's the right way. But this, this concept that we somehow can, can bring it to, if you don't do this, you're not going to hell. If you wear this, you're not going to hell. Or you are going to hell if you wear this. Or if you own this, you're going to hell. Or if you don't own this, you're not going to hell. And we can add emphasis to what God did not say. And in doing so, here is the danger. We introduce destruction to the word of God when we begin to add what God did not say. So I want you to picture this. How, I don't know how it happens exactly. We don't have a perfect pictorial of this. The devil's talking to Eve. He says, can't eat of every tree? And she says, no, we can't eat of this one. We can't touch it. And the devil says, this isn't true. Because the day you eat of this, you're going to have knowledge like God. Now, her belief is that God has said, don't eat and don't touch or you're going to die. Correct? Everybody say amen. Now the devil comes up alongside of her. And he sticks the fruit out. And she touches it. And now all of the word of God is destroyed. What God did say is destroyed because she believed in what God didn't say. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because there was a standard set that isn't true, it effectively reduces 
the word of God to nothing. So when God didn't say don't touch it, so when she touches it and realizes that she has not died, well then is any of the word of God true? This is the, this is the danger. This is the danger for us, church. That we all believe in a lot of things and we, we, we walk good lives, godly lives. I, I don't know a better group of people. I've never been around a better group of people. I want to commend you on your desire for, for godliness and upright living. That is all good. But we cannot take our desires, add them to the word of God, and expect God's word to stand. Adam's intentions were good, I assume. Adam's desire in this was good, I assume. But the moment that he puts his words, his restrictions, his requirements, with God's requirements... And God's intentions, now it jeopardizes the entire thing. And I see this happening all around us, especially in the very uh, conservative, restrictive movements. That we have, we have built straw men. And we have told kids, if you do this, you're going to split hell wide open. And as soon as they touch that and realize it does not kill, then they abandon the word of God altogether. We build straw men that cannot stand. It's a house of cards that's all built upon men's doctrines. And then we wonder why when one card gets touched, the whole thing comes down. Because it was never about Christ. It was always about the requirements. And so the difficulty for our lives is to make sure that while we need to take heed, the scripture says how, in, in Psalm, I think, 119, it says, how can a young man cleanse his ways? But the answer is right after, by taking heed to the word of God. But you can't cleanse your ways by taking heed to the word of Rodney. I could have some great advice and some great counsel, and, and I might really be a, a blessing to your life. But the only thing that you can build upon, as, as wonderful as you think I am, the only thing you can build upon is the words of Jesus. You can't add, and I can contribute nothing to this. Nothing I have is buildable. All I'm trying to do is point you to the foundation. And so yes, we need, we need men in our lives and women in our lives, teachers, instructors. God talks about this. It's his kingdom. It's his work. Yes, this is all true. And we need to be so careful in all of this that we are never adding. Paul says, let anybody who comes to build after me, let him be very careful that he does not build upon this foundation in any way other than I have already laid it. So then we start looking. What cracks me up and I just, I'm just going to say this. What cracks me up is that you get this, these, these preachers get up and they're going to preach close clothesline message. And they're going to say, well, where, where, where's that in the scripture? Well, it's not. It's not there. The only place you can find anything is that a woman shouldn't dress like a man and a man shouldn't dress like a woman. Uh, we covered that years ago. But, um, but even that, they all wore robes. So I don't know what that means. But you go back to the Old Testament, and let's suppose somewhere in that you can say, well, the, you know, that means a woman needs to wear a dress and a man needs to wear pants. I don't know. You can't, but let's just suppose you can. The problem with that is the guy gets up there and he preaches out of the Old Testament that, that you've got to dress this certain way, but then he goes out and eats a bacon cheeseburger when he's done preaching. 
which is forbidden. <laughs> I literally heard a guy get up preaching about beards, and he said it was face makeup. Same as a woman putting makeup on as a man putting a beard. So you women, you have the ability to grow makeup on your face, apparently. That's, that's good. So some of you will really be thankful for that. And he said, this is, this is absolutely forbidden. It's something that, um, that cannot be a part. And he went to the Old Testament and talked about how it couldn't be a part. And um, then he went on to say that if you try to live by the Old Testament, you're going to die in your sins. And I'm like, huh? How? How do we get there? Well, I'll tell you how we get there. Because we take, now we can look, do we negate the Old Testament? No, it is the foundation upon which we come to Christ and the strength of our life. It builds truth in Christ. We know when he's coming, where he's coming to, who he's coming from. We know all of these prophecies, they're answered, and they, they hold up who Jesus is. So it's not that we get rid of the Old Testament, but at the same time, we can't then go back and try to begin to add to what Jesus says we need for our life by pulling out of the old law. In fact, Paul forbids that. So, the opposite side of this is removing and disregarding the word of the Lord, which is equally as bad. To combat the oppressive restrictions and all this stuff that's been added by men, many have adopted a perspective where the word of God is disregarded altogether. It is believed by the Calvinists that men are predestined for salvation and can neither accept it or reject it. So this is the opposite end of the spectrum. On the one side, you're trying to do all this to get into to be holy and right. And on the other side, it doesn't even matter. You don't even have to believe in Jesus. You're going to go to heaven or hell, and it doesn't matter what you do. This is the, this is the pendulum swing of religion. Many fundamental, fundamentalists, and now has been adopted more recently by charismatics that believe that they can be saved without ever following Christ's words at all. Salvation to them is a static position that is determined separate from our obedience to Christ. And of course, this produces the same destruction. The same destruction that Eve felt by, by getting Adam introducing something that God didn't say and now she touches it and realizes, hey, you know, I don't even know if this is true and it destroys her life and it destroys Adam with her. This is the function that Satan wants to do in our homes. Well, the same destruction is present when we take the word of God and we ignore it and we don't even abide by it whatsoever. So neither of these, we can't add to it and we can't take away from it. In fact, the apostle says this. If any man comes and tries to add to or take away from, let him be accursed. Even if this someone is Moroni, the angel of light, or some other epiphany, or some other supposed theophany, it doesn't matter. You cannot build anything but on the words of Christ. And so I think this is what, this is, what is so important. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the words of Christ. Does it say God or Christ there? I'm trying to remember right now. Christ. The, antiqu the antiquities say Christ. I was, I'm going to go with that one for today then. Because I think that this is, this is vitally important for us. I, I wanted to read you a couple of verses. John 6, 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit 
and they are life. John 14 or 15, 14 says, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. So if we're going to call ourselves a friend of God that became popular, it was a song. We used to sing it, in fact. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. How many remember that old song? It's been a long time since we sang it. If you're going to call yourself a friend of God, the only way that's possible is if you do what he says. But this is Jesus specifically speaking. And so I begin to think about this. Don't misunderstand me. Listen, don't. I'm not, I'm not building a doctrine. I'm not, I'm not getting rid of scripture. But I want you to listen for a minute. And I, I'm trying to finish here quickly. For those of you who want to go home and take a nap. I love the entirety of the word of God. All of the scripture. It supports and builds. It's line upon line and precept upon precept. I love finding the prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Christ. I love the promises and seeing how he fulfills them. I love the Pauline epistles which give us great depth to our Christology and our conduct and how we should act in church and what we should do in relationship to each other. And I don't want to disregard any scripture, but I want to make this point. I believe that within the words of Jesus found only in the Gospels and what the Gospels record concerning his life and his death, there is sufficient for salvation. Just within those four Gospels. There is sufficient for appropriate Christology, which means ology, that kind of think of study, geology, and all that kind of study, the study of Christ, the, the logic of Christ. There's, there's appropriate and, and sufficient scripture to have an appropriate understanding of Christology. There's sufficient within those four gospels to have an appropriate understanding of theology. So I, I, I want you to think about this for a moment. If we only read the four gospels, this is the only place that we really get the, 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 the word of Christ. And within this, you're going to get this. I'm, I'm going to give you a laundry list of what you're going to get just from the words of Jesus, with the exception of the very first one. Because he wasn't born yet. But the first thing you're going to get is in the book of Luke, where that, that thing that we're struggling to understand, I'm going to help so we can understand it. What do we need to know from Jesus concerning our life in this modern age? Let me, let me spell it out for you. That thing that's in the mama's belly that everybody's struggling to name. We don't, we don't want to call it a baby. Now they want to call it a fetus. You know what fetus means? Baby. That's what it means. Where do we get this idea from? Luke 1. Where it says that when Mary came to Elizabeth, that the baby in her womb, not the clump of cells, the baby, the same word that's talking about the infant lying in the manger, the exact same word. That baby is inside of her. So we know from, from Luke 1 that, that a baby in a mama's belly is a living creature. It's a human being, and to kill it is murder. And anybody in the church struggling to understand this is not heeding the words of Christ. Now, all of the rest of these that I'm going, I'm not going to quote every chapter and verse, I'm just going to run through it quickly. But all of the rest of these are all spoken by Jesus. We can take his word and we can know this, that there are only two genders. 
Matthew 19, it said, it was not so in the beginning, but in the beginning he created them male and female. So, so, well, Jesus is good with transgender. No, he's not. Male and female created he them. This is Jesus' words. Well, Jesus didn't know how many genders there were. Yes, he did. Because if he didn't know, he would have said, God created humanity and there was just a lot of weird stuff going on there. We had one gender and then a different one and then one that was half one. And No, Jesus makes it very clear. By his words out of Matthew 19, we will find that marriage is between a man and a woman. And it's impossible for it to be anything but that by the words of Christ. And you see where we, you can already start thinking, I want you, as I'm saying this, I want you to think about this. Now, we get the church in here, and we got the words of Christ, which says marriage is between a man and a woman, and there's only two genders. And we got a bunch of Christians come alongside and say, you know, I don't know about that. Because God says to love. And so we get all this stuff mixed up in here with this stuff, and what it does is it destroys all of the word of God. Because we add our part to it. In the Gospels now, within these four Gospels, we are going to find that Jesus is more concerned with the inside of the cup than he is with the outside of the cup. We're going to find that Jesus never addresses what specifically should be worn, if a woman's hair should be cut, or if beards should be shaved, either men or women, by the way. Not addressed by the Lord within the Gospels. Everybody say amen. We're going to find that he bears our burden and carries our load and cares for his sheep. We're going to find that Jesus makes it clear that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. We're going to find that he is the door, that he is the bread that came down from heaven, that he is the resurrection. We're going to find his words that describe himself as the good shepherd and as the sheepfold. We're going to find that when you have seen him, you have exactly seen the Father. Jesus' words. We're going to find that he is the fruit inspector and that he is the fruit producer. His words. We're going to find that he is salvation. It's literally in his name. And if you're going to follow him, Jesus' words, not mine. If you want to be my disciples, you're going to have to go through it in self-denial, taking up your cross and dying to your flesh every day. Not my words. You're also going to find that it is his spirit that's going to take residence in those who follow him. And you're going to find that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ according to his words. You're going to find that he's not going to leave you orphans. You're going to find the promise that he would return to those who long and, uh, and look for his appearing. And I'm not talking about rapture because this is one of the things that you're not going to find within the scripture. Sure, there is more height 
There is depth, there is width, there is breadth. We can understand better the, 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 the mysteries of Christ and, and how God is working. And we can, we can better build upon what, what we understand maybe even salvation to be. We can see a lot of other things within the Pauline epistles and with all the Old Testament and within Peter's writings. We can see some wonderful things. But none of this can ever conflict with expand upon or remove from what has been already stated by our Lord. I don't know if you've thought about this, but why do we even have this? It's not, it's not the basic construction before leaving earth manual that we've been told. It is so that we can see him. We have been given not just the rhema, the written word within this this book, but we have been given, revealed to us the logos, the logic and the reason for what God has done and said. And it has been poured out toward mankind. It is God's desire for self-revelation. He wanted to make himself known to every one of us. This was his desire for us. And we've got to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of adding to the words of Jesus. When you think about what is mentioned, I want you to think about what isn't there. Just talked about what is there, and we could have gone on a lot more than that, certainly. But then if we think about what Jesus said concerning himself, what the Gospels say concerning him, But you can now take the entirety of the New Testament and you're going to find some things that are not there. Are you ready? Trinity. Not there. Rapture. Not there. Millennial reign. Not there. Tribulation. Not there. And you say... You're just destroying every single doctrine that we've got. The problem is those are doctrines of men. Dispensationalism. Not there. Those words, every one of them that I just said to you, are Latin. We understand them in a, in a theological perspective within the English language. Within the English church, they are all Latin. Do you know what church comes from Latin? The Catholic Church. They are all doctrines of men. Now, is there a talking of the parousia? Is there a talking of the of the apocalypsis? Is there talking of the catching away? Is there talking of the pouring out of his spirit? Is there is there message concerning the unity and the oneness of God? Absolutely. All of these things are true. But the problem is when we've got this word and then we bring other things alongside of it. We bring doctrines in that are not there. And we say, hey, listen, in order to understand God, here's how you got to understand God. You want to know about the the God? I'll use the word head, even though it's not in the scripture. Um, You want to know about the Godhead? Here, let me give you a word, Trinity. It's Latin, and you're going to go through the Latin fathers to know him. This is what's happening. 
You want to talk about the end times. And you want to talk about Jesus returning for a church that's awaiting His appearing. Well, we're, we, we don't really, we don't, we're really going to go to the Bible here. What we're going to do is we're going to get you to raptus, which is a Latin word and you're going through the Catholic church to figure it out. You understand? You're getting the gist of what I'm saying. And the problem is now, we get all these doctrines of men and then you get somebody come along and they're trying to find it in the Scripture and when they can't find it in the Scripture, they say, you know what? This whole thing's a farce. This whole thing is a lie. It's been built. No, God's Word isn't a lie, but all these things have been added on. All these things have been built into it and now when we can disprove those and this, I, I see this happen. I'm finishing. I see this happen all the time. I watch a lot of these street preachers and, and these guys will go out and, and they argue they want to argue with the, um, you know, the, the Mormons and the, and the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they'll get out there and they begin to discuss with them. And, and the Jehovah's Witnesses always want to come at them and say, well, you believe in three gods. And they'll say, literally, they'll say, and I'm not picking on the Trinity. We, we were Trinitarian, and now I don't see it that way. So that's not my point. My point is they will say, listen, hey, the Trinity isn't even in the Bible. To which the answer is, correct? I mean, it's not there. Okay. No, instead of saying, you know what, yeah, that, that's, a, that's been a, you know, misconstrued and maybe a little, maybe we just misunderstand that a little bit. Let's talk about Jesus. No, they don't talk about Jesus. They want to go prove a doctrine that isn't there and try to defend words that don't even exist and then wonder why we can never bring anybody to faith because we're not bringing them to faith in Christ. We're bringing them to faith in dead works, faithless works and this is the danger if we add on we cannot add on to the word of god echoes of calvary doctrine for for what we believe about jesus can't do it i don't know what that is but that's okay it's my timer so let me finish by saying this jesus speaks in john 6 we already quoted it my uh what, what is it what was the word uh, six, um, 63, I think it was. Six, 63, yes. And it is the spirit that quickeneth, flesh profiteth nothing. The words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And as he speaks these things, it says that many of his disciples looked at this and they said, we can't stay with this dude any longer. And they turned and left. And Peter makes a confession at this point that I think I want to emphasize with you and leave you to think about this week. Jesus looks at his, turns and looks at his 12 disciples and he says, Okay, are you going with him? You're going to leave too. Because this is about me. It's about my word. I don't want you to focus. Get out of the Jewish stuff. Come on, guys. Get done with that. I don't, I don't need you focused on the Jewish stuff. I need you to listen to me. Right here. That's what I need. Listen. Are you going with him? Because I want to know right now. And Peter says these great words. Lord, where else could we go? You have the words of eternal life. We often take this to be that, but it is not. This is not the words of eternal life. Jesus' words are the words of eternal life. If possibly, because there's always this argument, well, that was, you know, maybe, maybe men wrote that and, and men may have mistranslated that. I, I don't need to know that. If it's possible that there's error in here, and I know there's scripture that's been added, 1 John 5, 7. It wasn't in the original text. There's a few others. The, 
the end of the book of Mark. That's really irrelevant because this Bible is not the word of life. Jesus is. And there are people all over this world who have only pages of the scripture who would put us to shame with their understanding of who Jesus is. People in countries where it's forbidden to even own a Bible and they underground trade pages, memorize a page of the Gospels and then switch it off and trade it to someone else and then they memorize it and they're exchanged a page. They may never even get through all of the Gospels within their whole lifetime. I love the Word of God. I love the Bible. I love to read and I love to study it. But this is not our God. We must understand that we turn to the Lord and I, I just want to encourage you that within his words are everything you need for godly conduct, for Christian living. There's nothing else that you need. Again, I, I want to reiterate, I feel, I feel like I need to reiterate this right now. Within the Gospels is everything you must know concerning Jesus. We don't find a lot within the Gospels about church order. The main place we find anything about church order is in the book of Corinthians. The ones who are practicing the most gifts, who were the most confused, who were sleeping with their father's wife. Remember that group? That's the one where Paul came in with church order. Everything else he didn't. He just talking to him about Jesus pretty much. So I just want to encourage you, as you're thinking about what Pastor said today about his word working in our heart, that logos of God working within us, I just want to encourage you, don't add to it. Don't take away from it. We let the word of God stand and we adjust ourselves to it. Amen? Amen, Pastor.